in 2021, industry in total, right, lost uh, 50 billion in fraudulent advertising, right? In comparison to 95 billion they lost in 2022. So you can imagine how rampant and how quick the development of the fraud activities is. Welcome to Optica Talks podcast. In each episode, we discuss hot topics of mobile app market with renowned experts. Hey everyone, welcome to the second season of Aptica Talks podcast with even more great experts and hot topics on the way. I'm pretty excited to kick off this season with Genrich Lukanchuk, General Manager at BDIS, Transparent Mobile DSP. Hey Genrich, how are you today? Yeah, thank you so much for the intro. Not too bad, not too bad, doing good. Uh, yes, as usual, as usual, ready to share the insight with the industry and the and the participants. Great. So to get started, it would be nice to hear more about you, your experience, your background and your role at BDIS. Sure, no worries. So um, in short, been over 10 years in the advertising industry. Um, being an ex-Googler, I was leading the acquisitions teams for a C region, for a small medium business sector, and also leading the omnichannel solutions uh, for various countries uh, for large customer sales, uh, being certified uh, project management professional and uh, also been uh, right now uh, currently leading the European development uh, for uh, for BDs together with uh, a great team member with Arthur who is the head of sales for BDs uh, as of this year. Yes, I guess I met your colleagues at uh, Mobile Simon in Tel Aviv and Arthur gave a great talk during the panel session. So yeah, it was awesome. Um, so just to begin with, uh, let's t- briefly talk about in-app traffic and in-app advertising as it's something you deal with on a daily basis as DSP. Yeah. So I saw some uh, stats by Statista that this market generates around, um, if I'm not mistaken, 314.5 billion dollars and in-app uh, advertising share is growing and even within Aptica we see uh, more and more advertisers both on iOS and Android platforms with a lot of creatives so but again there are a lot of challenges and how do you manage the in-app traffic in-app advertising within BDS considering all these privacy regulations and restrictions so how do you set up the campaigns to uh, achieve the best results possible well first of all let's kind of have a brief review of in-app traffic and why it's an exceptional source of advertising for various reasons right so first of all the mobile users are spending approximately 90 percent of their time on various applications and it's equivalent if you calculate to more than three hours a day right so uh, roughly three and a half if i'm not mistaken according to the iba data uh, that is the average amount of uh, time spent per user uh, just browsing through various applications and uh, thus the applications represent a significant portion of users time right in general and uh, uh, of their retention um, the in-app ads specifically and in-app traffic, they um, um, have a conversion rate that in general uh, is three times higher than for the traditional ads because of the high user retention and uh, uh, generally because of the high concentration of a focus for, uh, for, the, for the end user. Basically, when you compare yourself, let's say when you're browsing on a website for a specific information and you are sitting with a specific application, uh, let it be like a dating app or a banking app or, or, or a gaming application, 
your attention is all focused on a screen, right? So you observe each and every corner of, of the application. So that's why uh, the banners are uh, way more attention grabby than uh, I would say for for the kind of classic website and just you know for the uh, for the web browsing. Um, so that's kind of you know the the most important thing. Um, the other uh, aspect of uh, the programmatic mobile advertising uh, would be uh, when comp in comparison to uh, the data that's being accumulated using cookies, you know that's quite uh, standard for the website and for the uh, for the browsers. Uh, when using an application, ad publishers in general can collect way more targeting information about the users, including such things as demographic, for instance, like age, um, internet uh, internet provider, operating system, device types, location, and many, many, many more, right? Uh, again, depending on certain GDPR regulations and certain corporate regulations, but in general, the amount of data that's being gathered is way more, which allows definitely for uh, better precision targeting and better uh, um, creation of look-like models in comparison to the um, kind of a cookie-focused uh, website campaigns. Um, so that's why, uh, in general, the programmatic advertising uh, is superior to the kind of classic um, website brow uh, website advertising, classic banners that you, that you can see. Um, and uh, additional thing here uh, that should be noted is in regards to ad blockers, right? So ad blockers is something that's more relevant, again, for the web traffic. Uh, and it's not such a big concern for the in-app advertisers because of the freemium business models, again, which allow them to serve ads to kind of more mobile users and uh, um, that can help them in general, uh, that can attract, sorry, the users without uh, paying any price initially. So that's why kind of all the three uh, combinations, the large, uh, the big pool of, uh, of data points, uh, the uh, lesser impact of different kind of blockers, and uh, the uh, attention, uh, the user focus within those applications are the three primary points why programmatic is kind of a more relevant, more important, and more interesting, in our opinion, for advertisers, you know, than, than the kind of the, the classic old ways of, um, well, basically advertising. You are correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but uh, again, so you mentioned that now we have more data about the users for in-app applications, but again, so we see that uh, it's, it's getting stricter and stricter and more rigid with all these regulations. So do you see this shift uh, for you personally? Is it more difficult now to set up the algorithms based on the available data of now it's not something uh, to take into account? Yeah, I, I would say definitely the kind of the changes, especially in uh, terms of the um, app, uh, Apple development, uh, especially for the scan models and kind of the scan releases that they're doing, is something that um, is uh, impacting the industry and is placing additional concern for the industry uh, key players. So for those you know who are not that much of a familiar, the um, uh, the scan or kind of the SCAD network, the Apple's privacy uh, preserving attribution system was developed over the course of many, many, many years. And uh, with the regional rollout of the so-called scan 1.0, there were no post install events tracking and uh, no industry adoption because it cannot be used for optimization. 
With additional releases in 2020, 2021, and definitely 2022, it all transitioned to the ability for the stakeholders that can they, that they can get up to um, three different postbacks and conversion windows are now fixed. Uh, and also the privacy threshold became more flexible, right? So we saw the transition from kind of opening this uh, these data channels uh, from 2000, I would say 2019 to 2022 with uh, additional concerns that it can all be rolled back you know, to, to the previous uh, state of the of the ecosystem um, that is more or less similar to what SCAN 1.0 was, right? Kind of just shutting out of the gates. However, the industry is not, you know, staying at the same spot and it's also developing. And uh, there are two main things that are being right now carried out uh, by BD specifically, right? The first one is the adoption of more complex uh, machine learning algorithms that even with the uh, inability to source you know, all the required data that we have um, at the moment, uh, such as the things with the user behavior attributes, such with the sorry with the contact attributes, with additional uh, creatives attributes, etc., uh, can still be leveraged to find uh, the, the users with the higher chance or the higher likelihood of uh, making certain conversions and making certain um, say, certain action within the event. So that's number one, right? Um, the investment and the development of the machine, le- machine learning algorithm. Because over the, I would say, uh, the last five years, um, the majority, unfortunately, of the uh, DSPs on the market became quite reluctant to invest in this for one particular reason. The abundance of data made it possible that even uh, kind of a lesser, I would say less uh, complex and less sophisticated models, uh, such as like kind of a linear regressions, you know, with certain penalizers, etc., that existed for, you know, for, 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 ten, for tens and tens of years in other industries uh, were just adopted in programmatic, but were never developed. So right now, uh, the uh, center stage um, is being entered by neural networks, by, uh, kind of, um, by random forest and other more sophisticated algorithms that require more uh, server power and server investments, definitely, uh, but are able to produce way, way, way better results, right? So I think this kind of a shift that we are having at the moment will definitely make the industry change and transition at rapid spa- uh, at rapid pace, uh, purely for the necessity of the, of the clients and uh, as kind of a larger demand from the industry itself, right? So how do we leverage the data point that we have um, and... As I mentioned, one of those is just, you know, upgrading the models that's, uh, that the industry is using at the moment. And the second uh, the second thing here, I would say, is finding additional data points that might have been neglected in the, in, in the previous um, and maybe potentially um, building their own uh, kind of walled gardens uh, for each and every data that's being stored on the user by each and every DSP, by each and every SSP. So there is a possibility that we might move to kind of, you know, the existence of uh, a plethora of walled gardens in the industry where each DSP, where each SSP, where each ad network would have their own um, database on, on the users that they've generated over the course of many, many years. Um, and the only kind of access for um, for a client would be to collaborate 
with uh, with a variety of uh, of those uh, players on the market uh, simply because they would not be able to access all this inventory relying on one or two partners. Okay, so again, this is another possibility that we're also in BDs are exploring. Uh, but at the moment, I would say the more focus is coming on definitely the first one because it's uh, way more uh, complex, way more time consuming and requires definitely more um, capital expenditures in the infrastructure in comparison, you know, to, to kind of to the second approach. Mm-hmm. So we will notice then the diversification of the partners. So the clients will choose more than one, two. It, it is possible. It is possible. Oh, okay. Yes. So uh, apart from the privacy uh, challenge, we also have the fraud challenge. So because wherever the money is, uh, frauds will likely to appear. With uh, so we have so many, so much money running through different channels for in-app advertising, and of course some. Uh, other players would like to steal to borrow this chunk, this uh, slice of the pie. Um, so, and uh, uh, I know that a lot of MMPs and DSPs they are trying to cope with this challenge to mitigate the risks for their clients. So, uh, specifically, how do you work with that within BDs? How do you mitigate the risks? Uh, what uh, solutions um, are you using currently? And um, also, I'm particularly interested in the channel. So what is the most active, the most popular channel of the fraud activity now? Either, I don't know, click injection or SDK, uh, spamming or boats or uh, device farms? Yeah, I think that's, you know, a very good topic uh, on which I can spend, you know, hours and hours of potential, you know, dis- discussing it. Uh, because it's such a, um, I would say, sometimes a mesmerizing things um, for 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 our clients kind of to understand, to comprehend the reality, uh, the unfortunate reality of uh, the current state in terms of the fraud for the industry. Just to give you know certain uh, numbers, approximately one of every third dollar, uh, so thirty three percent on average, right, is being lost to this kind of activity, meaning meaning to the fraud activity. So. For a certain client that are thinking thinking that the fraud maybe you know represent ten percent, maybe five percent, because we had lots of them who are thinking that it represents a very kind of minuscule, small percentage of for the overall traffic. Well, unfortunately, unfortunately, it represents a very huge chunk of it, right? Uh, on average, it's like thirty three percent. It's huge according to the IBA statistics, and um, I would say that kind of the main location, the main countries that are being impacted the most are first of all the ones that have the highest levels of mobile penetration and mobile usage, meaning US, meaning China, meaning Japan, meaning UK. So basically, uh, all the tier one markets, right? Because they represent of all like 60 or more of the ad spend due to fraudulent activities, according to various reports, uh, for instance, the Juniper research, where they kind of announced uh, and showcased the, the numbers. Um, and when kind of speaking about, again, the volumes for, for the fraud, even though the, inter- the industry, uh, including us and including other very uh, good um, and respectful DSPs and SSPs in this field are doing everything they can uh, to combat this, uh, this malaise, right? The, the trend, unfortunately, is on the rise too. So year over year, uh, loss spend uh, is increasing, I would say, by roughly third, 35% on average. So for the comparison, in 2021, industry in total, right, lost uh, 50 billion in fraudulent advertising, right? In comparison, 
to 95 billion they lost in 2022. So you can imagine how rampant and how quick the development of the fraud activities is. So it's not something that um, is, you know, on a slow pace or there is a specific set of players uh, that uh, are not growing much of their capabilities. On the contrary, it's, you know, it's always the, the race with the kind of the fraudulent providers uh, because they find new ways of uh, supplying this kind of inventory, if we, we if we even can call it an inventory, uh, to um, to the clients who are uh, not aware of it, and it's also the battle with the um, with the MMPs because again the MMPs are doing everything they also can to ensure uh, that the fraudulent uh, activities are not passing through. So I would say that that even for the MMPs, um, even though they develop new. Um, rules and uh, new systems in place to detect fraud on a way better level, on a, ba- a way better scale. It's not the game of uh, one person of you know, or, or one fraudland farm or whatever. It's always a constant, you know, the, the race chase, right? So something will come up, uh, some new uh, systems will appear on the market provided by, you know, by, by, by the fraudland uh, user providers. And uh, it'll take some time for MMPs to adapt. Okay, so it's not staying on the same place. So that's why you know it'll it'll stay with the industry, unfortunately, for a, for quite a long time, if not for forever. Just you know to give kind of the last um, data point for you know for our listeners and for viewers, I would say that according to multiple experts, like the industry experts, the fraudulent installs per se account for thirty one percent. For iOS and 21.5% for Android app installs. So you can see again, those numbers are huge. We're not speaking about like small minuscule percentages. We're speaking of something that is unfortunately, uh, as of uh, as of the current moment, is the part of uh, kind of the overall industry health, right? And uh, that's why so many DSPs, including us, specifically uh, putting a lot of efforts and working with a lot of knowledgeable buying teams to understand where the inventory is coming from, Um, looking at it uh, across all angles, working with multiple MMPs to ensure that what we provide for our clients is of very high quality. Uh, so you mentioned the figures about the installs. Uh, so 31 yeah. for iOS and 25 for Android, right? So it's we it's weird. Maybe I don't get it right, but I thought yes. that uh, iOS uh, platform is safer uh, yes. for, I mean, in terms of fraudulent activities because it's quite hard to enter the uh, App Store rather than Android and uh, fraudulent activities more widespread on um, Android, so the percentage should be higher there. Not yeah, not always. I, I think we when we're talking about kind of the fraudulent activities, it's more related to the mechanisms of attribution. That's number one, mm-hmm. right? So the how attribution is being settled um, and tracked, and the second one would be the actual um installs right how they're carried out and we all know the, of the existence of so-called artificial intelligent farms um that came as the um i would say the new development uh, on the on the fraud lines uh, on the fraudulent sphere to general um fraudulent farms where there were like you know bunch of bunch bunch of users with certain devices just uh working in cooperation with you know fraudulent providers 
clicking on um, certain uh, certain application, installing this application, probably doing nothing there, depending, you know, on the key event, if it's the key event of install, it's just, you know, just installing the application. If the key event is some kind of action, then uh, circumventing the system in a way to make the end user believe that this action actually triggered, right? Making the MMP believe that the action actually triggered, why in the reality it didn't. So that's why uh, lots of the um, fraudulent providers, they focus so much on the CPA billing. So that's actually one of the very good indicators when, uh, as a part of the due diligence, every UA manager should be conducting mm-hmm. on his end. When he is speaking with, with the key players in the fields, like in, in general with all the players, not only the key players in the field, and he's asking about this billing approach the people have, uh, if it's a CPA base, it would, you know, it should sound a huge alarm. So, you know, the, the red flag should be everywhere for one particular reason, because um, there is a very high chance that uh, with this kind of a race button down the end, provide me with you know with the cheapest traffic that delivers the best results, right? The the network, let's put it, let's call it them the network, they can provide them with extremely cheap CPAs, for which the the person can be built. The the UM manager will believe that he delivered the greatest results, right? Because everything triggered. The MMPs looks like you know they verified everything, but then the finance team on the on the client end will come in and say, hey, you know what? Nothing came through. You know, there were no actual purchases. There were no actual um, activity from on, on the user's behalf. We received no money. And then the UA manager will be asking, like, how it's possible, you know, but MMPs, they confirmed all the activities. Probably you are wrong, guys. Probably, you know, something. And we've seen those cases, unfortunately, when the uh, UA teams were debating with the finance teams over the actuality of the money coming in, where basically the finance team was saying, you know, there is no money flowing in a bank account. So we don't care what you're showing on your uh, UA screens or, you know, in the MMPs tracking. What we see is no money inflow. And uh, basically, that's where the fraudulent networks, unfortunately, are taking certain advantage of those kind of unsavvy with lesser experience um, UA teams because, you know, they got so stuck into believing that uh, if everything was reflected, you know, on the systems, you know, by the MMP providers, and everything is definitely correct without doing any kind of due diligence and understanding of uh, of the current activity. I'm not saying, you know, that each and every network that is doing uh, kind of the CPA billing uh, is involved in this kind of activity, but it usually correlates uh, on a uh, kind of on a higher scale uh, with this kind of thing, because for each and every optimization, if you go to kind of the main key DSP providers, including us, um, it would be a basic understanding that each and every model that would be searching for really high quality traffic must be trained, must be tested, uh, and it takes time, right? So it's not always possible to provide uh, great uh, CPA numbers with, let's say, small budgets, if there was no prior training of the models, no prior investment in those uh, models on the very start. So sometimes, again, you can see that the industry is being plagued by this kind of a mentality that, hey, you know, those networks provide us with a very low quality, or with, with, yeah, with a very low quality, a very low CPA cost traffic right from the very beginning. But down the road, let's say in a month, in two months, um, they, they realize that what being provided with is pure fraud, uh, while the key players would be focusing on optimizing the actual high quality and traffic. But that would require certain, of course, fluctuations and volatility, especially during the first times of any, any launch. 
So it's better to have a CPM billing method? Of course. Okay. Yeah, because it would be, uh, first of all, it's, um, uh, it's a standard. Mm-hmm. For uh, for very large key players in the industry that they're working, so you can you can talk and definitely ask uh, any uh, large DSP in the world, and they will tell you they're working only on a CPM basis. There are no exceptions. Maybe there there exist certain exceptions when there is a high inflow of data, right? Uh, when the ability to predict become becomes so uh, such of a high level that even certain fluctuations within CPAs are minimal. And that's when the potential transition to the CPA billing is possible. But again, the budgets that are required for such a transition are, uh, of, let's say, are very uh, high numbers, right? So they're very high numbers and definitely not something the um, any, any DSP would start with initially. Mm-hmm. And uh, getting back uh, to the beginning of uh, my question uh, about the channels, so mm, I don't know whether you have detected maybe uh, the main channels for now of the fraudulent activities. So what is that? Uh, farms, boats, uh, SDKs, spamming, clicks, all of them. So mm-hmm. I would say that we collide in every, uh, in general with all the various. Uh, Kind of fraudulent techniques, including farming, including uh, SD, uh, SDK spoofing and uh, uh, click, in, uh, click injection. So like everything, you know, everything comes into play. It depends, first of all, on the vertical. And the second, it depends on the uh, on the country, on the geolocation. So we know, let's say, that for certain uh, countries, um, mostly in APAC, that would be kind of the farms that provide the, the uh, this kind of a traffic, uh, more advanced, like technological, uh, more complex um, fraudulent traffic is uh, is rampant for say for Western Europe and the US. Um, but again, uh, there are certain verticals where we see basic farms, you know, doing this. Um, so I wouldn't say that, you know, there is one or two uh, things we um, we face, you know, uh, when we kind of analyze the traffic, uh, the initial traffic and the initial traffic providers. Um, it's over. It's uh, very hard to pinpoint the specific things that are, you know, um, in the in the industry from the fraudulent perspective. It's always changing. So that's what I can tell you for sure. Okay. So and uh, concerning the verticals, uh, are there any specific verticals that are more uh, affected maybe by the fraudulent activities? Gaming, for example, or yeah, I would I would say gaming uh, became um, significantly impacted by the fraudulent activities uh, from I would say twenty twenty uh, um, somewhere around that time when the you know when the COVID pandemic hit and there was a gaming boom. Of course, it attracted large number of um, uh, malevolent players to to the fields that uh, during certain kind of periods of time uh, completely overwhelmed the industry. Right, so it took them some time to clean all the uh, let's say clean all the rubbish. Uh, from 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 the inventorial perspective, uh, but yes, the gaming was impacted significantly. Now it's way better. So what we see, it's it's significantly improved for three reasons. The uh, UA teams became more educated, more savvy. Um, second, they established the connections with uh, the certain uh, traffic providers. Uh, programmatic uh, participants uh, that they've trusted, that they've seen over the long, uh, let's say, span of many, many months, of even even years, 
um, that been able to provide this high quality of traffic and they're staying with them. So that's why you know, um, the the loyalty is usually very high in 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 this field. And uh, third, uh, the MMPs also helped uh, in terms of uh, developing new uh, systems to combat fraud. Right, but again, it's not something that uh, the the industry faced, uh, the industry fixed, and they can you know forget about it because the the fix is so permanent. On the contrary, I would say, in the very beginning when I was talking about kind of the development of the models for kind of machine learning, it would be folly not to admit that um, the same developments are also occurring on the uh, fraudulent uh, network providers. Right. Um, so the same machine learning algorithm being implemented, they are hunting for, you know, great data scientists and great data engineers to circumvent um, what the um, the industry um, is uh, is doing at the moment. Uh, so they can make another influx, you know, another flood of, of the fraud traffic and uh, display it as, as a good one. So, yeah, it's, as I said, a constant battle, yeah. uh, no way to, to pinpoint the specific measures all over the place. So they are doing their best to pollute the data so and evolve uh, their mechanisms, yes. Um, I also read uh, about programmatic advertising and there is this statement uh, that advertisers feel safer uh, with uh, programmatic advertising due to advertising due to the transparency. But in the re- in the reality, yes. there is no this difference as with both uh, with programmatic advertising uh, with traditional advertising. You can lose your budget uh, and uh, you can receive this uh, um, fraudulent traffic. So on the same level. So is it myth or is it a reality? Yeah, I mean that's a very good question. So that's why we always uh, in abilities we always start with the, kind of the tests, um, uh, the initial tests with our clients. First of all, to ensure that the models that we're trying to build are of a high quality, right? So that's why it's always an investment, you know, on on the client's end. And uh, the second that we're able to on the very early stages uh, to detect this kind of a fraudulent traffic that if we're being you know provided can be cut immediately right um and that's why sometimes we when the clients are um saying that they're able to kind of to scale significantly on the second day on the third day uh we still kind of make a warning to ensure that we don't um put them at risk you know, of ruining completely their, their spending because, you know, that's that uh, their money, their budgets, and we will provide the best results for them. So in this case, it's always about the first initial investments uh, on the client's end uh, to both ensure the bespoke models can be built for the client, for his specific needs, and the second, that the traffic that's being sourced uh, can be analyzed in the early stages and only the good one can be provided in the end. Mm-hmm. So your analysis is performed via AI tools, uh, AI algorithms, and uh, based on machine learning. Uh, but uh, do you use a manual analysis? Do you check your algorithms? Yeah, I would say uh, it comes mainly in th- uh, two main stages. Um, and without you know g- going too much into technicalities, I would say there is a pre-install, um, pre-event. Uh, um, fraudulent detection activities and post install post event uh, fraudulent detection activities. So uh, so usually they're split in like um, 30, 70 or 40, 60. Um, that meaning that after initial event occurred, 
again, we analyze the data to ensure that, yes, it actually took place and there are no behavioral patterns that would indicate that, hey, it's not suspicious, you know, everything looks good, everything looks clean, because uh, very high-end fraudulent networks, what they do is they're able to emulate emulate the behavior of the user to such an extent that it's uh, it became completely undistinguishable from from the real one so uh, i'll give you an example even with you know opening the first uh, kind of the first deposits right the uh, the person is able to kind of set up the account make all the clicks uh, go to the web page etc wait for a certain time um, for for the deposit because you know the you know you could kind of get all your details and banking details you know to 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 make it um, and if the person if the system is kind of looking at the CPI or certain actions that are not the actual deposits right um, or that would take certain time uh, let's say four days five days to open the deposit within this time frame the network can show that hey listen. We've made so much progress within those five days, right? Without the actual opening of the deposit, that it looked like we brought you very, very high and relevant users. And if the model uh, on the client side is built kind of a, to predict based on this behavior that's very, very similar to the behavior of the actual users, the client will, will you know, will buy in. And he'll say, you know, you provided us such a great quality traffic within those five days. It looks like they will, you know, install almost the next day, almost in a couple of days. Let's, you know, let's speed up. Let's uh, get more investments. One, two week additional passes, no results. You're being questioned and, you know, the the fraudulent provider is gone. And uh, he just sends sends the bill for the CPA saying, hey, you know what? We provided you with this kind of all the... actions that we agreed upon in the contractual terms but you know now it's your time to pay and in reality they realized it was just pure fraud so that's why uh it's very important also to analyze the post uh event activities post click activities uh what's actually happening there um it can be detected again on various stages uh can be detected on the on the click stage uh, again, on how the, uh, let's say, the um, the click-to-install window, for instance, the timing, if it's done too rapid, uh, too quick, and it's usually a question of uh, if it's uh, driven by some algorithm with some machine or it's done a BU's behavior because usually it takes, let's say, five minutes, four minutes, sometimes less, sometimes more for a user to, to, to install. But if it's done in like in a couple of seconds after a click, you know, I mean, have you, uh, what's the last time have you installed an application immediately, you know, after clicking on the ad? So there are certain minuscule details that are being picked up by, uh, by us, uh, by MMPs. Um, and uh, yeah, so that, that, that's how we're trying to detect if the fraud occurred or not. Uh, so you get the results from your algorithms and then there is a person behind it also analyzing uh, this data, just uh, checking whether the, um, I don't know, conclusions are right or wrong. Yeah, so basically what's, um, it comes to working with, first of all, with trusted network, trusted data providers uh, and trusted SSPs and ad, ad, ad networks. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the whole, whole collaboration, not only of us, uh, but also of, of different uh, of different teams. And on top of that, what we in BDs do, we work closely with the buying team who know who've been experts in the field for for tens of years, uh, who understand uh, different patterns that may not be picked up uh, by the uh, by the algorithms yet, but uh, they see it and they can kind of flag it 
immediately for us, you know, for the sales team, for the data engineering team, say, you know, it looks very suspicious, guys. And it, it, it looks something is wrong going there. Can we investigate? So again, the human aspect is also very important because relying purely on the algorithms, and we've seen, you know, many, many, many times, uh, it's just uh, sometimes a suicide for a client because the, again, the algorithm can be circumvented by the fraud player and if there is no kind of human still scanning still kind of analyzing the uh, the traffic that's being provided uh then yeah it's uh, it's just the end game so what to expect uh in the future of programmatic advertising uh so one thing that we know for sure fraudulent activities will be there with us so but maybe some positive dynamic and positive trends to expect yeah i mean definitely apart from you know uh apart from the fraud there are many many good things happening in the programmatic field uh and i would just kind of name three ones the first uh is again as i mentioned at the very beginning the transition of the whole industry to the actual um uh, deep learning algorithms um so they would be implemented by by the very variety of the um, DSP providers, the uh, the the ad networks, in comparison to what we have at the moment, right? So we in BDs we are implementing those uh, more sophisticated algorithms for our clients that will help them to um, create those look like models in a quicker um, in in a shorter time setting um and uh would be of a high quality but this is well it's an investment right so it's definitely a significant several investment it's significant um human resource investment because you know you need you need uh, the data engineering team who is uh, very sophisticated in the recent developments in let's say neural networks in how let's say the different layers are being constructed what the best composition right now uh for this you know for for addition to the, the lay construction let's put it this way what the uh different uh things in 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 the random forests are with the recent development there because you know that's such a huge block uh from mathematical standpoint uh that's it requires uh, as a, a significant investment from the human capital there. We can't rely on the models, like linear models, linear regression that being, you know, uh, taught on the kind of the basic levels in during bachelors or masters uh, to stay with us forever. So that's why this transition from this side is happening. And uh, we're happy to know that we and BDs are on this path and um, will be able to provide soon with the best possible uh, algorithms for our clients. Uh, but yeah, that, I think that's one of the developments um, that will occur in the uh, industry eventually. The players will not be able to adopt it. I mean, you'll see the results after potential um, kind of wall gardening of of the of the uh, key players, like say the Apple and potentially Android, uh, will significantly suffer and potentially go out of business. So that's number one. The second is, and again, it's more of a hype in my opinion, than the reality, but, you know, I need to kind of still pick it up. Um, it's the creatives and creatives AI, uh, because one of the things that's, um, in our opinion, um, can be uh, changed and can be visible to the end user who interacts with the uh, with advertisement, right, with the placement, uh, is basically the creative right uh, either it be the sk overlay or either it be a simple banner or a video ad a native whatever uh it's always the the creative aspect right and uh, there is a huge huge um, kind of 
trend, a huge wave on the market saying that, you know, with all the creative AI, we can, we can create so many brand new creatives in comparison to what we have at the moment. And if you know, at the moment, it's, it's kind of the very basic tools that are being implemented by the both very large players like Google and uh, others. For instance, just pure, uh, let's say, background color changes or uh, certain, let's say, resolution changes to fit in, in the right uh, for, for mobile, for various mobile um, uh, hardwares. Um, devices. So I would say um, th- there is kind of this um, understanding that with the with the creative AI, it's going to significantly improve. However, however, it should be noted that um, uh, it all sounds great, you know, on paper, but in reality, the end question is who is going to prove it. So the end. Cl- uh, do we believe that uh, the clients? Would be completely, you know, complacent and uh, agreeable uh, to add tens of thousands, or let's say, tens of, or hundreds and hundreds of newly created creatives, uh, without them pro- kind of reviewing them, accepting them, and approving them. Right. So I, I don't think it is right, especially for a large key player that have their own PR teams, that their own uh, compliance team in place. Uh, across all the industries. So it's not only, let's say, something that is relevant for banking. I would say on contrary, it's more relevant even for the gaming industry, where they have a certain um, kind of understanding, especially with the very large uh, players or how they want to position themselves uh, through the creatives, right? Because it it becomes kind of a part of their um, extension of their brand and they don't want to get it hurt. Uh, and if they see random creatives being appeared, uh, generated by AI uncontrollably, I mean, it, it, it doesn't look good. So I don't believe the trend will pick up unless there would be some automations or some kind of a new systems um, for the approval process that would, you know, generate something in, you know, in, in decent boundaries. But, you know, it's still I still don't believe it. There is so much of the um, human um Kind of approval of the human interaction that that's you know involved there, and cannot be automated. So yeah, that's more of a, in my opinion more of a hype than a real trend. And the third one, uh, final, is uh, the uh, market uh, price prediction for auctions. All right, so that's something that been uh, in the uh, finance industry for you know for quite a long time that the guys been using for quite a long time, but it's now being transitioned and been now picked up by the uh, advertising uh, community and specifically within programmatic. Uh, basically, for those you know who are not aware, uh, it would be answering the simple question: What uh, the auction price of the bid should we go with prior to actually bidding? So what's the minimal price we can win with? And it's uh, always, you know, a, a, a good idea to, to uh, understand for, for uh, especially for large DSP providers, uh, because it would significantly reduce the, um, the buying costs of a traffic, right? Uh, so imagine that instead of, let's say, uh, placing the highest bid possible, Right and paying for the second uh, second bidded price with a certain premium, you'd be able to uh, narrow down the range so much that uh, you would not be you'd not be either paying those kind of huge premiums at all, or you'd not be participating in um, auctions that would not be 
uh, of a high quality um, for, for the end user, right? Meaning to attract the new user for you. So this is, you know, something uh, that's being developed by the industry. It's something on our roadmap uh, for sure. Um, so I'd say that is kind of a more important uh, at the moment uh, for, for, for the industry in general and for us too. Uh, okay, so thank you for sharing these insights uh, with us today and thank you for your time. Uh, please follow BDs and the, their blog section. There are a lot of uh, other insights to look through. Thank you again, Rick, for being with us today. It's been a pleasure. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time. To find out more about Aptica and its products, please visit the website aptica.com. Do not miss the next episodes by following us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or any other major platforms. We would appreciate your feedback to make our podcast even more insightful for the industry. Thank you for listening.